Welcome to What Happens Next. My name is Larry Bernstein. What Happens Next is a podcast which covers economics, finance, politics, and sports. I give the speaker just six minutes to make his opening argument. Today's topic is Major League Pickleball. Pickleball is the hottest sport in America. Player enthusiasm is off the charts. In my neighborhood in Miami Beach and my mother's in Sarasota, pickleball is the rage, and this is becoming the norm. The game is fun to play and open to all ages and skill levels. People love it. Today's guest is my close friend, Steve Kuhn, who founded Major League Pickleball. You know the one, where Tom Brady and LeBron are team owners. Steve is incredibly creative and highly excitable, and you're going to love Steve. There's much to cover, so buckle up. I make this podcast to learn, and I offer it free of charge to anyone that is interested. Please tell your friends about it and have them sign up to receive our weekly emails about upcoming shows. If you enjoy today's podcast, please subscribe so you can continue to enjoy this content. Okay, let's begin with Steve's opening six-minute remarks. Hey, everybody. My name is Steve Kuhn, and I am the founder of Major League Pickleball. Larry asked me to talk about the sport of pickleball, its amazing growth, and the future success of the sport, and also... Why is there a place for a sports league in pickleball? I first played pickleball about six years ago. My nephew, Keenan, told me about it. He said, this is the perfect sport for you because it's really about hand-eye coordination and it's about strategy. I'm a big game strategy geek. So I show up at the gym. I was welcomed with open arms. It was like a joyous occasion that somebody had joined the pickleball flock. I love tennis. I love table tennis. Why is pickleball so much fun? I think... A big part of the reason is you get to hit the ball a lot, <laughs> 10 times as much as you do as an hour of tennis. The points are quick. There's not a lot of time between them. Tennis points generally don't last very long, especially among people who are not very good. Yeah, there's a serve. Maybe that goes in. Maybe the return goes back in. Maybe there's another shot, but that's about it. Because you get to hit the ball a lot, you're also immediately feeling like you're getting better. A wide range of athletic abilities can enjoy the sport very quickly. People involved in it were the biggest proselytizers I'd ever seen. This wasn't a sport, it was a mission. I have a penchant for making bold statements. My bold statement I made to friends years ago was that someday pickleball would be the most played sport in America. At the time I made that, I was definitely viewed as having three heads. That was not the consensus view, but I was convinced it was true. Pickleball is to tennis what top golf is to golf. Let me explain what I mean by that. Yeah, golf is a fairly difficult sport to learn. It takes hours to play, thousands of hours to learn how to play well. You take that and turn it into top golf, and a wider variety of people can go to top golf, enjoy an hour with their friends, have fun. They don't have to be a great golfer. You've gamified it and democratized it and broadened the total addressable market. Top golf was a huge success. When I saw the success of Top Golf, I said that pickleball is the next Top Golf. When I started six years ago, that was exponential growth from a relatively low base. The next four years, it was probably growing 40 to 50% a year. We're starting to get to real numbers. I said, now it's time to invest in this. I looked at the pickleball landscape and said, what things can be better? I thought you could do it better by creating a team format. I love the PGA Tour, but I love the Ryder Cup even more. We created basically the Ryder Cup of pickleball. Also, we altered the scoring rules. The rules of scoring are complicated and arcane and needlessly weird. We've changed the scoring rules to rally scoring to make it much easier. I set up another company called Duper, the Dynamic Universal Pickleball Rating, 
which created a way for people to put in their results and get a fair and accurate rating, which is really important if you want to hold tournaments at the highest level. At the time that we started Duper, less than 1% of pickleball players had ever played even one rated match. There was no way to really know how good you were. I created Major League Pickleball and Duper a little over two years ago. Let's talk about pickleball ratings. In golf, you play against the course and there's no opponent, and that's not the case in pickleball. Now, tennis has its own set of complexities. How did you come up with your scoring system to deal with a doubles match, particularly when your partner maybe have substantially different capabilities? Instead of a golf handicap, I would think of it more in terms of a chess rating. Let's say you're an 1,800 player and you play another 1,800 player on an online chess game. You're going to know that if you win, you're going to go up five points. And if you lose, you're going to go down five points. It's completely transparent and you understand exactly what happened. We tend to do the same thing in pickleball. What we do that's unique at Duper, at least unique relative to our competitors, was we look at not only whether you won the match, but also the margin of victory, which allows us to get to a more accurate rating quicker. Let's say I'm supposed to win in that match about 30% of the points. I'm a big underdog. If I end up winning 40% of the points, even though I lost the match, my rating can go up. That has consequences that are troubling for some people. (laughs) First of all, male and female players in pickleball are actually quite close. The difference in gender is a lot less than just about any other sport. Our algorithm doesn't know whether you're a man or a woman. It just knows the scores. What's confusing to the pickleball world about this is in the previous construct, the rating was a different for men and women. In other words, a a male 4.0 was different than a female 4.0. The problem with that is that no longer makes it predictive. We went for predictiveness, and that means that a male 4.0 and a female 4.0 are exactly the same. That definitely causes some confusion and angst in the market from people who are used to the other system. In most sports, gender makes a big difference with performance. Men are bigger and stronger than women, but that's less important than pickleball. It matters a lot less. That is correct. The average difference between a male and a female is about 0.2 duper. Our duper scale goes from two to eight. The best players in the world are around a seven. Ben Johns and J.W. Johnson are around a seven. Anna Lee Waters, who's the number one female player, who's, by the way, 15 years old, is about a 6.4. She would be roughly in the top 20, 25 of men. How does that compare with the best men and women in tennis ratings? There's a service called Universal Tennis Rating. They have both male and female ratings. I think they're Top males are around a 16 in their rating system, and top females are around a 13. What's great about pickleball is there is a lot more matches with two males playing two females or two males playing a male-female. We have a lot more data to be able to actually make these cross-gender comparisons. What you need for a good rating is something we call connectivity. We have enough connectivity to be able to fairly confidently say that our ratings are accurate across the genders. We have connectivity for genders. We have connectivity for about 15 or 16 countries now. That's exciting because that means that we are building really the infrastructure for a world pickleball rating, not just a U.S. one. Next topic is the popularity of pickleball. I moved to Miami Beach recently, and I live a few blocks away from the Miami Beach public golf course that has four tennis courts. I was speaking with the mayor of Miami Beach, and he told me that the town decided to convert those tennis courts into pickleball courts. Previously, I would walk by the tennis courts and nobody was playing. But since they converted to pickleball, it's a zoo. The place is packed with people screaming and yelling at each other. I hear that soon there's going to be lights put in. Yeah, some of the stories about pickleball focus on kind of a pickleball tennis war. I don't want to steal tennis courts from tennis players. 
Steve, didn't they teach you at Harvard that economics is all about scarcity? Let's look at the economics of a tennis court versus a pickleball court. Tennis is generally played in singles. One tennis court is generally being used by two people. A pickleball court's one-third the size of a tennis court. So now you can have three pickleball courts, and pickleball almost always doubles. You take a court that could be used by two people, and you turn it into something that could be used by 12 people. I look at indoor tennis facilities, and I think most of them will end up probably converting to pickleball just because you can charge the pickleball players half as much per hour and still make a lot more money. So make the economics of pickleball in terms of how popular it is and the fact that it costs a lot less. If you look at having a child play junior tennis versus learn to play pickleball, it probably costs about a hundredth as much. <laughs> you look at all that, and yet it's more profitable for the facility. And I think we're going to see a lot more pickleball facilities built. I hope it's not at the expense of tennis. I think we'll see enough purpose-built pickleball facilities where tennis court conversion will slow down. I think the market will catch up and the tennis courts will eventually survive, but some might be converted in the meantime. Steve, tell us more about the pickleball league that you created. How did you think through the structure mechanics and what are your objectives? Team sports are really fun. The Ryder Cup is more fun than the PGA Tour stop. I wanted to create a team sport. And so our structure in Major League Pickleball is teams are made up of two male and two female players. When two teams play each other, it starts off with women's doubles and then men's doubles. And then there's two mixed doubles matches. If the score is tied 2-2, the teams go into something we call the dream breaker where they all play singles. That's super dramatic when it happens. Part of the goal of starting Major League Pickleball was to bring in successful and well-known people into the sport that would bring more attention and eyeballs and get more people to try it. That would be a way of building the value of the sport, raising the prize money for the players, bringing in sponsors. Bringing excitement to the sport would bring more eyeballs, would bring more money, and a virtuous circle would be built. We've had amazing owners like Brene Brown, LeBron, Tom Brady. The number of people that we've brought in has been exciting. How did you choose the team owners? How can we best bring in the owners that'll help us make this league and make this sport successful? So... That could be celebrity. It could be people who have experience in starting other sports leagues, not only the U.S., but all over the world. That was important to us. Obviously, there was a financial commitment to joining the league and expansion, but I think that wasn't the biggest decision rule for us. Who's going to lean in? Who's going to help us make this sport greater? We define our mission in terms of helping the sport of pickleball grow. We wanted people who are mission aligned to that. We want to get 40 million people in America playing pickleball before 2030. When I said that initially, that was also considered stretch goal for the sport. I think we're going to actually probably achieve that earlier than 2030. 40 million players would mean that pickleball would not only be the most popular played sport in America, but it would be double the next tennis and golf are about 20 million. I think pickleball will be the most played sport by double before the end of this decade. And where are we now? There's not great data on this, but... We're trying to assess that. There was an industry group that said there were 5 million players last year, and I thought that was absurdly low based on paddle sales, ball sales, et cetera. My guess is we're closer to 15 or 20 million players. I've seen estimates that as many as 30 million people have at least played once. I'd like to consider the question of athleticism in pickleball compared to tennis. Obviously, the top-level players are getting a crazy workout, but how do you think that compares with the athletic workout for the average player? I actually think this is a false narrative. <laughs> so I'm going to push back. The time between points in pickleball is typically a seven to 10 seconds. So you play a lot more points in an hour. If you're an elite level pickleball player, you're moving a lot. It's believable that an hour of pickleball, you actually burn more calories than an hour of tennis. That's insane. 
I'm just saying those 60-year-old players playing pickleball, if they played tennis, would burn even less calories per hour than they are in pickleball. One thing that will determine the success of your league is viewership. Obviously, lots of people love to play pickleball, but there's a big difference between playing and watching on TV. How do you think about attracting viewers for pro matches? That's the big question of pickleball. What is the value of Major League Pickleball? There are sports that people don't play very often, but watch. NFL. Very few people play tackle football <laughs> like ever in their life, much less regularly. And yet, NFL is the most popular sport to watch. And college football is probably number two. So there are certainly examples of sports that people don't play themselves, but still love to watch. The reverse, I think, is less Almost every sport that people play broadly is watched broadly. The argument I make here was when MLS launched in the U.S., there was a lot of skepticism of whether it would be a success or not. I looked at the youth soccer numbers then, and I said, yes, it might take a little while as the 10 and 12-year-olds playing now, but they're going to be consumers of this. The criticism of soccer forever was it's a 0-0 score and no Americans will ever watch it. And when Americans didn't play it, that was largely true. <laughs> now that people who are adults grew up playing the sport or adults have kids that were playing the sport, they're much more likely to watch a soccer game that's 0-0 zero, because zero, they understand the intricacies of the sport more. While there are sports that people don't play and yet watch, there are not that many sports that people play actively and don't watch. Does that mean pickleball is going to be the most watched sport in America? It doesn't necessarily mean that. Well, I think if it's the most played sport, that it'll be in the top 10 or top five. The thing that pickleball needs to do is we need to have our player stories. We need to understand who our players are better and have a deeper connection to them. Look what happened in Formula One this year in America. The Netflix series Drive to Survive came out. You have to understand who the drivers were, the difficulties that they face, just how incredibly challenging and amazing their abilities are. The Americans viewing Formula One have gone up dramatically this year. As people get to know these player stories and their backgrounds, it makes the sport more exciting for them. A couple of weeks ago on the podcast, we had Stefan Siminski, a professor of economics at Michigan. He did analytics on European football leagues and found that in aggregate, these football teams were not making any money. All the revenues were basically going to the players. How do you think about the economics of your pickleball league and how you might balance that with players' revenue share with business profitability? That's a good question. Certainly in European soccer, there are owners and investors that just want it for psychic, for karmic reasons, for joy. It's important for prestige to own a team. That sometimes elevates the values of teams. The NBA came up with a kind of a deal with the players that we will promote the players, we'll promote the league, and the players will get a percentage of our revenues. So it's been win-win for the players and for the league. When we announced LeBron James becoming an owner of one of our major league pickleball teams, that story across all platforms, I think has now gotten over 4 billion impressions. That made the sport more valuable. If we can be fair to our players and give them a fair upside in that, and we're continuing to drive the increased value of the sport up by multiples of where it's valued now, I'd like to think that that could be a win-win arrangement that both the players and the owners would benefit from. How do you think about marketing the pickleball league? Historically, leagues have brought in other sports stars as owners. Why did you choose this route, and how do you see your marketing strategy evolving? Right now, some of our owners are bigger stars than our players, but I want to change that. The players are becoming bigger stars every day, 
now you have an attachment to the players. You've watched them play and you're starting to cheer for them. In Major League Pickleball, we have a draft and we'll have general managers. One thing sports fan loves to do is get mad at the general manager. They love to criticize. Look at the passion around the NFL draft. They want to yell at the GM if they make the wrong pick. It's a unique thing in this sport where the general managers have to make decisions about what player they want and which player they view as the best. That's fun content. For the true pickleball geeks, that's like candy. They want to have a debate on what players should be drafted first versus third versus fifth. That debate is getting more interesting to more people. What's next for Steve Kuhn and Major League Pickleball? We announced a merger with a gentleman named Tom Dundon in the PPA Tour. So we were expanding our teams faster than we thought. The day that we announced that LeBron was an owner, we had 400 indications of interest for teams. We've had probably over 1,000 groups approach us. The day that LeBron was announced, I got calls from 12 different countries on how they could help launch a pickleball program there. There's no shortage of interest in having a team. That has led to us to make the decision to expand more quickly than we originally planned to. The quality of play that we're going to put out on the court this year is going to be unsurpassed. I think the future is you're going to be talking about us alongside NFL, NBA, MLB, Major League Soccer, NHL. Our TV rights fees are not in that category yet, but I think that's going to change rapidly. Where can we watch Pickleball on television? Our first two seasons, we were on CBS Sports Network. This year, we're actually still negotiating with a a number of different parties. One thing that we've seen lately with the fracturing of streaming is that TV sports rights fees have actually done incredibly well. It's one of the few things that actually motivates people to watch live and to subscribe to a service if they have the content that they want. We saw Amazon pay a billion dollars for Thursday Night Football series this year to try and bring new subscribers to Amazon. Those rights fees this year will not be huge for us, to be honest. But trust me, we think that the future is bright. Steve, 23 years ago, we started working together. We shared similar passions in the financial markets. We both speculated on interest rates in the global bond markets. What are you doing in pickleball? (laughs) What I would say to that is, in financial markets, we both tried to identify undervalued securities. We tried to find mistakes in markets. We tried to find things that people just didn't understand. I saw this mistake in pickleball. And people were not taking pickleball seriously six years ago, or even two years ago. It was a weird sport with a funny name. I thought that was just a vast market mistake. I'm drawn to finding undervalued things and then trying to tell the story of why they're undervalued. Pickleball is the most exciting sports story in terms of its growth rate, how it's making people's lives better how it's getting people out moving and meeting new people. Pickleball court is probably the least politicized place in America today. I've played hundreds of hours of pickleball with people, and I couldn't tell you whether they're red or blue or who they vote for. It's a needed thing in our country right now. This was a trade that I saw something that I thought was undervalued, but that could be profitable, hopefully for myself and my investors, but also really make America and the world a better place. Steve, what are you optimistic about? I've been famous for the phrase that pickleball will save America. America maybe needs a little bit of saving. We're not getting along with each other so well. I think pickleball brings people together to play and to hang out with people that they probably wouldn't agree with on anything else. I think that's incredibly valuable. I know you're familiar with the book Bowling Alone, saying we were no longer in organizations that got us to meet other people and we were kind of getting more cloistered in our homes and social media made that even worse by getting us even more divided. I think the antidote to bowling alone is playing pickleball together. I think pickleball will save America. That's my optimism. 
Thanks to Steve for joining us today. If you missed last week's show, check it out. The topic was how to write a best-selling mystery novel. Our speaker was my close friend, Scott Turow, who is the author of 1L and Presumed Innocent. I spoke to Scott about his new novel, Suspect, and he explained how to construct a novel and develop characters. We also discussed the role of the editor, the rewrite process, and then the post-development, how to market a novel and ways to generate excitement about the work so that booksellers can sell it. I now want to make a plug for next week's program about immigration. Our speakers will be Stanford economist Raina Bramsky and George Mason economist Garrett Jones. Both speakers are pro-immigration, but Garrett wants to focus our efforts on getting immigrants with skills. In addition, Garrett thinks that immigrants' experiences from the old country will make a difference in the success of their descendants in many generations forward. And the social and cultural mores that the immigrants bring will impact America's mores as well. So be careful. You can find our previous episodes and transcripts on our website, whathappensnextin6minutes.com. Please encourage your friends to join the What Happens Next community by signing up for our free weekly updates about upcoming podcasts. If you enjoy today's podcast, please subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I would like to thank our audience for your continued engagement with these important issues. Goodbye.